All right, Andy. Here we are. Here Fox. we are. So, so um, El Nino has gifted us with two weeks of 90-degree weather. And I'm not sure that's how it was supposed to work, Andy. And I you was, left while it rained. Yeah, for, I know. Seriously, for a hot I, I, went to, I went to Texas. And um, which, you know, Texas is really funny. Let's just let's just put it that way. But that's a different different podcast topic. Um, we're so glad that you are with us and uh, that you give us the privilege of joining you wherever you're at. Uh, check us out at Subversive Kingdom um, or more importantly, VoxOC.com. Uh, um, you can add your name to an email list uh, to find out more about what's happening. Things are cooking and moving uh, around the launching of a Vox-shaped community. Uh, in North Orange County, and um, and so sign up if you want more information about that. We need we need prayer. Uh, we need folks to pray for us. We need folks to support us. We need folks to uh, to come alongside and to help out. So uh, thank you to so many of you who have uh, encouraged us, reached out to us, asked questions, commented. It has been this journey has been unbelievably fun uh, over the last several months. So today, Andy. What uh what I thought we would do is we got a couple of Ask Mike Erie hashtag questions yeah and two of those were from you so <laughs> so way to model that and and we we had one other one yes I got to be an example I know I know so it's it's always great when you know I can quote yeah somebody wrote two questions and it turns out to be Andy um <laughs> and uh and and so so I, I love that you're trying to get this on fire it clearly has caught it's clearly gone viral with two people it's a fire inside of me. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, uh, it and and not in in anyone else. But, um, so so what we're gonna do? Oh, and I, I have a bunch of shout outs I got to do. Okay. So Paul, my buddy Paul, who is a philosophy professor in Texas. Hey, Paul. My buddy Josh, who is a Fullerton police officer, who's like, hey, how come I don't have a shout out yet? Hey, Josh. Um, and uh, I'm sure there are more people. Hi, mom. Um, no boxers today. Fully clothed. Uh, evidently, some people had genuinely thought that there were only boxers, which is which is awesome. Well, we've started off the podcast with so, the past like five episodes. So, so hello. <laughs> those are the shout outs. But what I thought we'd do is we we take um, we take some time to respond uh, uh, and uh, a bit more to the whole faith and doubt conversation because I think there's a lot more to be said, and uh, and and so so particularly. Uh, in light of one of the questions, so the the one non Andy question I got was actually a great question. Yeah, the two Andy questions and were were kind of. There was some that came in through contact, not through the hashtag, but. Oh okay. We got a couple. Of oh okay, so we'll see. We'll see if this actually addresses it or not. Now, just a reminder. Um, the Bible seems to make so much of faith. Hebrew says, you know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Uh, James talks about whoever. Uh, when you ask, you must not, you must believe and not doubt, or you will not get what you've asked for. I mean, there seems to be this real premium on faith. And as a result, there is a great misunderstanding uh, about what what faith turns out to be. We misunderstand it to be a religious thing only. That's not true. We misunderstand it to be a mental thing only. That's not true. And so just to remind you what we covered last podcast, um, faith is not psychological certainty. It's not being... It's not. It's not hitting the psychological certainty meter up to a certain like ninety percent. Um, it, it's not that at all. It's not um, faith. Is not professing faith. We we confuse professing faith with having faith. And um, in, in the scriptures, um, you can profess all kinds of things. Faith includes profession, but it's so much bigger than that. Faith, uh, thirdly, is not good theology. It's not believing good theology. In fact, good theology can become a stumbling block to genuine faith because you could actually trust in having the right answers versus trust the trusting the person to whom the right answers point. Um, and, and so, what, what faith turns out to be, and this is so so unbelievably important, as we said, it's two things. Uh, at least in the Bible, it's it's faith. Faith is action based on trust. So faith is an action word. It's like love in that respect. Love isn't primarily an emotive word, although that's what we've turned it into. Um, uh, faith in the Bible is an action word, and it's not a mental word, which is what we've turned it into. And we talked about three kind of convictions, which, which I just, I love Michael Novak's 
distinctions. He said, there's a distinction between what I say I believe, what I think I believe, and then what I really believe as revealed in my actions. And that's the huge point. You can say or think you believe anything, but what you do shows what you believe. Always. You can believe that I should forgive somebody, but if you're nursing a grudge and you're an angry person, then you don't believe that. You just don't. You can believe that God's commands are good, but if you live in in, in uh, slavery to lust or uh, greed or whatever, you know, your life shows otherwise. And so we become this big bundle of tensions and contradictions and inconsistencies. And so... Um, the, so the, the key word that I, I often like to substitute for faith is the idea of trust and not trust in a contractual sense. This is our review where I'm trusting in the legal document here, but it's the trust in the covenantal sense. That's the trust between two spouses on their wedding day when they both say, I do. Now, um, I, I want to explore a bit more. Um, what faith is and faith isn't in the context, first of all, of its action based on trust. Uh, faith is not an all or nothing proposition. See, see, and, and here's what I mean by that, particularly as it relates to the Bible. When I first came to faith, I was, I was taught that um, every word of the Bible needed to be defended. So, you know, if somebody doubted whether there was a global flood in the Noah story, or, or somebody doubted that these were six literal days that spanned 24-hour periods and that the universe was only 6,000 years old. This was, I, I, I understood it. Now, maybe they explained it better than this, but the way I heard it was that that view is just as important as believing Jesus rose from the dead. You know, and so so you get the genocide um, in... Um, in Deuteronomy, and you get it in Joshua, um, and 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 you go, okay, I'm not sure how to reconcile that image of God with the turn the other cheek, uh, Jesus. Um, well, you've got to defend that. You've got to harmonize that. You've got to, like I was just reading um, in, in two accounts about King David taking a census. One account said uh, the Lord incited David to take a census. That's the earlier account. The later account said, no, 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 it was the Satan, the adversary that incited David. And so you're like, well, that were they trying to clean that up? And, and so, so my faith was a, was, a, it was a house of cards in which everything was equally important. So Adam and Eve being real people was as equally important as understanding the Trinity. Or, or believing in the rapture was equally as important as uh, um, that, that God gives uh, and saves by grace through faith. And so, so I want to dismantle that because the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach that every single thing in here is weighted equally. Um, and, and, and I think that's super important, particularly yeah. for younger folks who, who come to faith and they're sitting in their, their Christian high school or in their youth group, and then they go to college and they're learning things uh, about biology, about astronomy, about physics that, that are seeming to call into question some of these interpretations we've had. And what do you do? Do you, do you have to shut off your brain? Or do you have to shut off your faith? And and far too many of us choose one of those. And there's actually a different kind of way of understanding this. So I want to beat up on the idea that all of all of the Bible's equally weighted in terms of importance. And so Paul, I mean, this is the classic example of this, where uh, Paul writes a letter to a church in Corinth, and it could have been a couple of churches. And these people were a mess. I mean, I, I so love that the earliest churches were messy. Uh, because our, ours are. <laughs> and so, so you know, this church is, is famously known. This church, uh, they had rivals, so they had differing factions based around different personalities. So some people were cheering, like, I love Apollos because he's such a great teacher. And man, I love Paul. He was the guy that, that founded this church. And no, no, I really like Peter. I mean, that dude walked with Jesus, you know? And so Paul's addressing all this stuff. There was sexual morality in the church, people getting drunk at communion. I mean, it was a mess. And so Paul spends, I mean, 1 Corinthians is how we reference it uh, in, our, in our Bibles today. But Paul spends a ton of time in this letter addressing these things that he's hearing and then the questions that the Corinthian church is asking. And then he gets into this section in chapter 15 
um, where he kind of, he, he begins to turn into something of greater significance. He says, I want to remind you, he says, now brothers and sisters, so he's, he's done all this work. I want to remind you of the gospel I preach. Gospel just means the, the news, the heralded news um, that is good. Uh, the gospel I preach to you, by this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. And then he says this, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And what Paul's doing here is is he's implying that there are things of second importance. And, and in fact, um, in in another letter, a letter to the to the Romans, Paul talks about disputable matters where it's okay that Christians disagree with each other. And he's referring to Sabbath and dietary laws, which were massive, huge issues. And he calls those secondary matters. Here he calls this gospel, this this heralded message. He calls it of first importance, and he just says, "I received this from the authority of the early church, and I pass it on to you." Um, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, he was buried, he was raised on the third day, according to the scripture, and then he appeared to Peter and the twelve. And that this kernel, this this was of first importance. All the stuff he talked about was important, absolutely. All the stuff he talked about, baptism and spiritual gifts and the Lord's Supper and all of those things, absolutely important. But not everything was of first importance. And then he goes into this whole section about the resurrection of the dead. And he says something here that I think is so unbelievably important. He says, um, he says, uh, if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise Jesus from the dead if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And then here's the punchline. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be of all people the most pitied. In other words, what card does the whole thing rest on? Well, in Paul's mind, it's the resurrection of Jesus, right? And so, so you, have, you have Paul here distinguishing between something that's of first importance and an event that, that is mentioned in the something of first importance that, that was at the time historically demonstrable. In other words, the, there, there was a tomb and either it was empty or not, either the body was hidden or not, either Jesus appeared or not. And Paul's saying, no, no, all of those things actually happened. And if it didn't happen, the whole thing falls down. So it's not if Adam and Eve were not real. It's not if evolution turns out to be true. It's not if uh, we, we misread the genocide narratives. That's not what our faith hinges on. Our faith hinges on Jesus of Nazareth, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And that's, that's the whole thing. Now, now, this is really, really important when it comes to faith and doubt. Because what am I trusting when I come to faith? Well, I'm not trusting the Bible. I'm not tr or, the, or the perfection of the Bible. I'm not trusting in the, the perfection of Christianity or in the goodness of the church. What am I trusting? Well, I, I, I'm supposed to be trusting a person, God, who sent God's son, who was God incarnate, to make a way for God and I to live now in restored relationship as evidence of what God will do for the whole earth someday in the future. That is the summary statement. And so if some of you are there and you're like, man, I just don't, I can't buy that the earth is 6,000 years old. Should I somehow abandon this thing? No, no. Believing the age of the earth, uh, I'm sorry to those fundamentalists who think this is some sort of die over issue. The age of the earth does not matter uh, when, it, when it is compared next to what do you think about Jesus? That is the fundamental question of the scriptures. Either the whole Old Testament pointed to Jesus and the New Testament pointed back to him and forward to him. Or uh, the whole thing is a house of cards and, and every part is equally valid. But Paul even says this in his own, own letters. No, no, no. There's, this is of first importance. This right here. The, the, and it rests on this resurrection of Jesus. So 
if you're somebody who's wrestling through, okay, man, I, I, don't, I just don't know about like the God who would say, kill the children. Uh, or I don't believe Adam and Eve are real people. Or, or I just don't, man, I just don't get a revelation. I, I just don't, I just don't buy the whole millennium thing or whatever it is. I just want to say that's not the core. That's not the core of the thing. There's a difference. A buddy of mine, when I was, when I was very young in my faith, he said something to me that was really, really helpful. He said, you have to distinguish between beliefs, opinions, and convictions. And, and what he meant as he explained it was, listen, there, there are all kinds of things that you just believe or think you believe, you know, I think I, I, and, 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 and excuse me. Uh, no, 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 no. I gotta, I gotta say that over. He it's opinions, beliefs, and convictions. Opinions go first opinion. I have opinions on all kinds of things Did I like that. I heard someone talk about that. So I have an opinion on it, heard something on the news. And so I, I kind of, uh, I repeat that talking point. I heard a preacher say something once that seemed to made sense. So sure, 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 sure. And I'm not even going to talk about whether or not I really believe it in Novak sense. I just mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have, we have, we have beliefs that that aren't the result of study. They're just opinions. They're just they're just a result of something I hear and seems to make sense, a result of experience. And uh, and so when it comes to the Bible, there are all kinds of opinion things I have. You know, the, the flood was was global or the flood was not global. Dinosaurs were, you know, roaming the earth and then the ark or not or whatever it is. But opinions, we have the most of those and they're held the lightest. Beliefs, this guy said, and this was so helpful. Beliefs were things that you've studied and that you have a definitive belief on and you could defend it, but they're not they're not of first importance. They're things that you could disagree with other Jesus followers on and still be in fellowship with them. So so it'd be things like for me, it'd be, it'd be things like the spiritual gifts. You know, are all of the spiritual gifts alive for today or not? What about women serving as pastors and elders and leaders and teachers in the church, right? I believe they can. Um, and we'll do a series of podcasts on that in the future. Uh, and there are lots of people who love Jesus uh, and who love the Bible who disagree. That's not, to me, that's not a deal breaker. You know, um, I, I, I think the earth is very old. Uh, and I do think science demonstrates that really clearly. But there'd be people who love Jesus who would disagree with that. But these are things I, I could go. These aren't just opinions. These are things I'm actually interested in and have wrestled through and and have considered a, a alternative views. But so I've got fewer believings about the Bible than I do opinions. I have all kinds of opinions, but I have, few, I have fewer believings and I hold those a little tighter than I do the opinions. But I still don't hold them as tight as what this guy was calling convictions, right? The the like, what are the things that make you a Jesus follower as opposed to a follower of anybody else? Like, what are the things of first importance? And those are the things you hold the tightest, and you have the fewest of. Was his point? See, if you make everything a conviction, then notice what happens, right? If I if if I'm willing to die over whether Adam and Eve were real people. Then, then you've elevated something that is so unbelievably secondary into a place of first importance. And you've just watered down the, the, the stuff that's supposed to be of first importance. You've just watered all that down by elevating more up there. And you make it impossible to actually have conversation with you because of if my view of Genesis 1 is a deal breaker for you, oh my goodness, then, then we've got nothing to talk about. I mean, that's just crazy. And I, and I see a lot of Christians, and because I've been one, who do it just this way. Everything is a conviction issue. And, and if you question any of it, the whole thing comes tumbling down. Whereas I think what's gotten at in the scriptures is that there's a most important thing. And that most important thing is who is Jesus and having a relationship with a person, not a set of believings and not a book, right? I mean, it's like, it's like looking at my wedding album, Right. I mean, I can have a relationship with my wedding album, but it's totally pointless if I'm not in relationship with the one that's pictured in there. Right. Yeah. Right. What are you laughing at? We could we could probably end the podcast on that. That's right a there. good that was a good point. That that, that sets it up pretty right? well. Right. <laughs> so so Jesus looks at his religious leaders and like, hey, dude, you search the scriptures, but you don't see me. Yeah. And I'm right here. And so there's this so 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 faith, even the intellectual part of faith. And there is an intellectual part, 
has to be construed in covenantal relational terms where everything is not weighted equally. Now, personally, I believe Adam and Eve um, were at least archetypical people uh, and, and maybe they were real. And, and it doesn't say that they were the only people that God created because then how, how are they marrying and other things? Um, but I do it because Jesus believes it. I, I don't, I don't believe the Bible and that leads me to Jesus. I believe Jesus. Therefore, I believe the Bible. Do you see the difference? Yes, I do. So, so the reason I, I buy the old Testament is because Jesus said he came to fulfill it. Uh, the reason I buy the New Testament is that I, I think Jesus commissioned his closest followers to to teach, to proclaim, and those teachings and those proclaimings were uh, gathered up by either eyewitnesses or friends of eyewitnesses, and that's what we have in our New Testament. And so, I don't believe the Bible. So, so I'm really okay interacting with people who have all sorts of very critical views of the Bible. Some people say, "Listen, Paul didn't write Ephesians." Or, or first and second Timothy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. <laughs> All right. So let's say he didn't. Is that, I'm still receiving it as authoritative. I guess Jesus I, didn't die. Well, it, see, that's the, that's the thing, right? So if, if your whole faith is in the house of cards model, then that throws it. Well, doesn't it say that Paul wrote it? See, for me, I go, no, I think Paul wrote it, but it doesn't matter if he didn't. That's not an important thing to me. Because I trust, my tr- ultimate trust is in God, who I believe gave us the text he wanted us to have. Now, he used that using jacked up people all over the place, yes. But my faith isn't in the scriptures first and Jesus second. Now, some will say, here's the objection. Yeah, yeah, but you don't know anything about Jesus apart from the scriptures. No, no, no. I, I don't know anything about Jesus apart from the gospels. And the gospels are different from the rest of the scriptures. Because you can actually come at the gospels just using basic historical analysis and come to the conclusion they're trustworthy, regardless of whether or not you believe the whole Bible is the word of God mm-hmm. or not. Okay. So to me, I came to the conclusion that I think the, the, the portrayal of Jesus in the Gospels, I think there's something to this. And I was compelled by his person. And that led me into the rest of the Bible. But it led me into the rest of the Bible in a way that says, yeah, there's some conviction things that I, I think are absolutely central to the Christian faith, salvation by grace. The idea that the scriptures are inspired in some way, however you spell that out. The idea that God is uh, some sort of trinity. I think that's a pretty central piece that Jesus is fully divine and fully human. I think that uh, I think that, that the recognition that human beings are created, whether it was over a long period of time or whether it was just from the dust, uh, and the side of somebody, you know, instantly like the Genesis uh, narratives portray. But I, b- I believe those as secondary things compared to my relationship with Christ. But there are things I would break fellowship with somebody over. You know, if somebody says, hey, man, I just think Jesus was just kind of a great moral teacher. I would really disagree with that. Somebody says, no, I think we can earn our way to heaven. I would disagree with that. If somebody says, I think human beings really don't need salvation. We're capable of saving ourselves. Nope. That, that, those are all for me, things that, that launch us out of the Christian story. You know what I mean? There, there has to be some groundedness in the Christian story. But if somebody says, no, no I, I don't think women can, can uh, lead churches. And I, I don't think that the spiritual gifts are for today. And I think Genesis is, is, you know, uh, literal 24 hour periods. Okay, great. We'll, we'll stay in fellowship. No, th- these aren't deal breakers, but, uh, and so some, and so, you know, the, the question becomes, well, who gets to determine who are deal breakers and what are not deal breakers? And that's where I go to, well, it's about Jesus more than anything. Yeah. Cause I, I see Paul doing that now. Are you with me on this? Yeah. So that's big. Yeah. That's so, huge. So that's huge. So that's I think huge. this, I think if you have questions about this, please interact because there's a lot I'm not saying that could be read into right now. Because I have a, an incredibly high view of the Bible. I absolutely, absolutely trust the words that are written in it, but I trust it differently than I used to under the House of Cards model. And, and it's not, to me, the, my, my view of the Bible isn't threatened by whether somebody comes along and says, hey, you know, maybe we've been misreading the, the genocidal narrative or like Pete Enns does, or Bart Ehrman saying, you know, man, the textual variants are much bigger than we've got, than, than we're aware of. Uh, or whatever. I just go, okay, I don't, my trust is in the Bible. My trust is in the God who the Bible reveals. So there's that. All right. Yeah. 
So, so to me, faith isn't an all or nothing thing. I think it's pos- possible to have confidence in Jesus um, and still not, and still be wrestling through some of the things that are in the scriptures. I think that's, I think that's okay. And in fact, it's a sign of someone taking the scriptures really seriously yeah. to go, um, all right, how does this stuff work out? Mm-hmm. All right. So that, that's like big point number one. Boom. So faith is action. Uh, built on trust. The second thing we said last week about faith is that it's honesty within covenantal relationship. And this is where there's a difference in the Bible between doubt and unbelief. Okay. Jesus condemns unbelief where you've seen something and because of the hardness of your heart, you refuse to acknowledge it. That's different than the honest doubting of the people of God who've been disappointed, they've been hurt, they've been, they feel abandoned, they feel betrayed, often at God himself. And so, so there's a difference between a rebellious, unbelieving, uh, and a sincere and honest doubting. It, and, and you see this difference all over the place. You see, you see in the book of Jude, it says, be merciful to those who doubt. You know, when Jesus was getting ready to ascend, as we said last week, there were some who doubted and Jesus doesn't rebuke them and say, get your act together. You know, there, there's the, the seeming, even with Thomas, one of Jesus's disciples who says, you know, I'm not going to take your word for this. I got to see it. There's this sense that Jesus gives permission for doubting. Um, but, but if we have the wrong kind of understanding of faith, then questions begin to scare us. We begin to shun intellectualism. We begin to shun um, honest inquiry. And, and, and in the name of protecting our house of cards, we close ourselves off to um, honest questions being asked by other people, believers and non-believers alike. Make sense? And, and this is where something else has really come to help me. And, and, it's, uh, and it's the idea that all truth is God's truth, that it doesn't matter if it's biological, if it's physical, if it's um, mathematical, if it's astronomical, it doesn't matter if it's all true. It's all, it's all true. Um, if it's true, it's, it's, it's God's. It, it is absolutely every bit of what we learn about human life to me is totally compelling. And, and Paul says something really, really interesting in the same letter for Corinthians, where these people were arguing about, you know, who, who's the better, I, I'm follow Paul, Apollos, I follow Paul, I follow Peter. And, um, and so, so, so Paul just jumps all over this. He's like, man, were you baptized in the name of Apollos? Were you saved, you know, in the name of Paul? I mean, it's crazy. He says, um, he says later in chapter three, he says, so then no more boasting about human leaders, and he has this beautiful line, all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, which is Peter's name, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. Like the most cosmic statement he can make. So no more boasting uh, uh, about Rob Bell and Mark Driscoll and John Piper and Francis Chan and, and Tim Keller. No, we're boasting about these people. If, if it's true, it's of God and it doesn't matter who it comes from. Yeah. It's irrelevant. In fact, and, and we talked about this a couple of episodes ago, when we talked about the world and what worldliness turns out to be. And we were talking about how the Bible writers often quote from non-biblical writings yeah. To, to make their case for something. Jude does this and Paul does this in Titus and Paul does this in Athens. And so we, we so evidently he was reading these writings of, of prophets and poets and quoting them um, in service to the message he was proclaiming, which means, of course, that that it doesn't matter where it comes from. If it's true, it's of it's of God and it's ours, therefore. So, so I love what Paul says. Listen, no more arguing about men. If it comes from Apollos, if it comes from Paul, if it comes from Cephas, if it's true, it's yours. And then he broadens it to everything. I mean, how big, how big does this summarize everything? Whether the world or life or death or the present or the future. Okay, so there you go. It's all yours. Now, I don't believe that everything that claims to be true in the world is true. Uh, so so there's there's discernment that has to go on. 
but it does mean that we can't trust labels. So if somebody, Hannah and I, my 10 year old girl, were having this conversation and I just asked her one day, I said, listen, is everything that is labeled Christian true? And she says, no. I said, well, how do you know? And she said, well, because, you know, not all the songs that are on the Christian radio, you know, are good. You know, in the sense, and what she was meaning was they're, they, they're true of who God is. No, I was like, whoa. And I said, well, okay, what about non-Christian things? Are things that are non-Christian, are all of those things false? And she said, no. And, and we talked about, you know, going to a doctor or uh, learning about, uh, she's learning about world history uh, in school or whatever. And, and I thought that was so great for a 10-year-old to understand that we can't trust labels. We have to do the hard work of discernment. That was what that whole podcast was about. Now, here's why this matters, all right? If we have grown up in a very narrowly defined understanding of Christian theology, the earth, 6,000 years old, the ark, no, I mean, all of this, like super like tight and it's all equally weighted. And then you go to college or high school and you sit in a religion class and the Bible professor tells you about all the holes that are in the Bible or all the contradictions that are in the Bible. Or, or suppose you sit in your evolutionary biology class or your anatomy class and you're confronted with all of this stuff. And, and you sit, and if we've not prepared our, 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 you know, collections of friends and communities for these sorts of issues, then what's going to happen? They either will shut off learning altogether, or they'll just think everything I was told was a lie, and I have to reject it because it's all or nothing. And neither of those things turn out to be true. And so I think it is so important, absolutely critical, and I'm doing this with my kids. We talk all the time about um, how how we look at the world and how we look at things that seemingly contradict what's in the Bible. What, what, how do you do that? How do you handle that? Nate and I will go for a walk. Nate's my 12-year-old. And I would say, okay, so so what do you think, why do you think people don't believe in the Bible? And I don't know. I said, well, what if you came across somebody who believed the Quran was the word of God? How would you know that you're right and this person's wrong? Maybe they're both right. Maybe they're both wrong. How would you know? Um, he's not super interested in that. He's super interested in video games. So those conversations go nowhere. But the, I played Bible video games when I was a kid. Oh, so I, I did both. I had both. <laughs> and look how you turned out. Yeah. So I think it's super important. That, that we teach we teach people to discern, right? Because the core, so if someone ever came along and said, listen, I think, I think people are basically good and I think they can save themselves and what's needed in the world is just more education. I'd go, ah, I'm just not with you there. I'm just not with you. I, I, think, I think that there's darkness in all of us. I, I, would, I wouldn't go there. If somebody just said, listen, I believe that the universe you know, popped into existence and there was pure chance and, and randomness and mutation that guided us to this point. I'd go, no, I don't, I don't buy that. Now, do I think there's randomness and mutation? Well, I do. Um, but I, I don't think, I don't think it was just all, you know, all an accident. I think there was intention all over the place, but different, different story. My faith doesn't hinge on that whole conversation. So, the big point we're trying to make is this. When it comes to faith in Jesus, it's not an all or nothing thing. To me, there are more important parts. And the most important part is who do you believe this Jesus turns out to be? This is what Paul says is of first importance. Um, the second thing is when you're out in the world, it is acceptable to learn insights from psychology, from physiology, from astronomy and to go, yeah, yeah, those are mine. Those are mine. You know, when, when, um, when science announces, man, we found these gravitational waves, yeah. like, oh dude, how cool is that? When we get the newest batch of pictures from the Hubble telescope, you know, I just go, wow. When, when medical doctors, um, are able to discern how fine tuned brain chemistry turns out to be, you're just like, oh my goodness. I just see God's fingerprints everywhere. When it comes to that, none of that 
to me is a, a threat to my faith because my faith isn't rooted on um, on on uh, the the house of cards model. My faith is rooted in nope. I believe Jesus is the Christ. I believe Jesus was real. I believe Jesus is real then. He's real to me now. My experiences have backed that up. Um, I experience the world, and uh, to me, following Jesus makes the most sense of of the way human life turns out to be. Now, jumping then to the biggest counter argument uh, to some of the things I've been saying, it is found in James chapter one. We got some website questions, and then we got a yeah, and ask Mike Erie question. Look yeah. at us responding in real time. That's right. Now, is this making sense so far, Andy? Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's working for me. Oh. <laughs> That's why we have you here. It's just, it's a beautiful thing. If we it? were on a stage together, okay, I would be the guy dancing in the background with a giant flag. Just, <laughs> just saying, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I'm just Mike's hype even, man, everybody. I, even, I don't actually do anything. I can't even picture that. <laughs> I'll, um, I'll have to send you some videos of that be, kind of thing. Oh my goodness. Dude, I just want you to grow your hair out. And, my bangs and are getting longer the, again. I know they are. You're looking kind of... I didn't do my hair today at all, oh, so it's, I'm looking... Oh. He didn't do his hair today. Yeah. Oh, boy, the problems. That must be so hard for <laughs> the you. The first world and generational problems. So, so James chapter 1, verse 6 says, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Well, that seems pretty clear. Yeah. I mean, hello. So, two points to make in response to this, Andy. Point number one, whenever, whenever I'm encountering uh, a particularly in Jesus. And because James is Jewish, I, I, I'm tempted to locate a bit of hyperbole here. Um, the, one of the great ways of speaking Jewishly was speaking hyperbolically, to use exaggerated language. So when Jesus talks about, listen, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to stumble, poke it out. Now, we know he's not speaking literally there, right? Because last I checked, I don't see a bunch of dudes without eyes and without hands. Intentional amputees. And yeah, exactly. So so we know he's speaking for effect there. So when he says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to that mountain. Now, what's his point? He's not, so we take that and go, well, the, the mustard seed's tiny and we actually look at a mustard seed. No, he's just contrasting how a small amount of faith can do something big mm-hmm. in God's kingdom. Yeah. He's not literally talking about moving mountains. I mean, this is, yeah. so if I say to you, Andy, listen, I've told you a million times that you're a hipster. Yeah. Have I told you a million times? Well, of course not. Yeah, no. I want to right. say yes, but no. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't counted. I haven't counted. Well, we know it's not a million. We know it's not a million. And and so we we use this sort of exaggerated we we use this sort of exaggerated language all the time. Mm-hmm. So I think uh with some of these great faith passages that there is in in the attempt to to underscore the absolute necessity and importance of faith, mm-hmm. there are these things we're tempted to turn into formulas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, go ahead. I was gonna say. I mean, do you want to find an example? I mean, because there's you know, let's talk about like a small a small tiny decision of action that we know about that then had gigantic god sized results that someone can't take claim for. I mean, because that's that's the picture that's being painted. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so I just heard a story uh, about a guy who, and I know this guy, and I trust this guy, who was at a conference that was talking about healing, and he was totally skeptical of this. And this was when, this was back, this was uh, a decade ago or so, when when there were some really, like, extreme movements in the body of Christ, you know, the Toronto Blessing and some other things, that unless you're a Jesus follower who's, like, really into it you're not going to even know about but so he was at a conference where where the speaker spoke and then they have this thing called ministry time where um you like somebody would get up and say you know in the room is somebody who has this ailment and god wants to heal you 
that kind of thing, right? And, and so this guy, my friend David, is sitting in the back, and he's sitting in the back row, and he's acquaintance. I shouldn't say friend in case he hears this. He's like, well, dude, we haven't met like more than a couple times. But anyway, so he's, he's telling this story, and he's sitting in the back, and, and somebody from the front is doing this sort of healing thing and, and says, there's somebody here with a rash all over their body. If that's you, stand up. Now, as, as my acquaintance David is saying, um, he, he is, his first thought was, I hope that person isn't close to me. And I hope I have not come into contact with that person at all. <laughs> and, and, and so, um, so no one really identifies themselves, obviously. I mean, who's going to want to jump up and say that? Uh, so the person up front says it again. And, and wouldn't you know it, there's an empty seat next to, to David. And then the seat next to the empty seat is a young lady who is covered completely. He hadn't noticed it, was covered completely in a rash. And she stands up really hesitantly. And then the person from the front sees her and says, okay, now I'm going to have someone close to you pray for you. <laughs> so <laughs> oh, you, know no. who, you know who's going to get stuck with that, right? Oh, yeah. So, so David has zero faith. He's totally skeptical of the whole thing. And now he's totally freaking out about catching whatever oozing sores, you know, she's got. So he puts his arm around her. And, and this, these are his words. He says, um, you know, like when you have an Etch-A-Sketch, um, how you, you can write on it and then, and then you slide this little thing and it erases the whole thing. He said, that's what happened to her skin as he just began to say, Lord, come, come heal her. Now that's an example of a mustard seed in a mountain, right? The guy had very little faith. If you're going to use, like, if you're going to use the faith o meter, I mean, he had zero. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and here this, and this totally changed this guy's life. I mean, obviously he's a, he saw it happen. And so you go, okay, so here's an example. And I, I've had little, I've had things like that happen too, where God's prompted, uh, a, a tiny step of faith and it's resulted in massive, massive things that have happened in my life. But I, that you know, it's of God when, when the, the results are so disproportionate to my input. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, and that's, oh, yeah. and that's what David was saying. He's like that, that there was no way I got, I, I didn't think I had a gift of healing. I didn't get credit for that. It just blew me away about how good God was. And that's the point. And so I think when Jesus is saying, if you have faith of a mustard seed, you could say to that mountain, move this mountain and go. I, I, I hear that as good, godly, Jewish hyperbole. This was a very common way of talking. Um, remnants still true today. Um, and, and, and particularly when you're bartering, you would say all, all sorts of crazy hyperbolic things to each other. But, but the point is, so when James talks about being, you know, if you have any doubt, um, you will not get such a person should not get, expect what they think to get from the Lord. That could be hyperbole, not saying it is for sure. I'm just saying it could be. And I, and I have an initial, my, whenever I hear something like this, that I want to turn into a formula. I always have an initial suspicion that I'm understanding it rightly if if I can turn it into a formula that would contradict other passages of the Bible, right? Uh, and so so I initially go, okay, well, is, is James speaking hyperbolically? I don't know, but I'm open to the possibility. But the biggest thing, uh, the biggest thing that, that leads me into, I think he's talking about something different here, is the fact that he there's a verse before this <laughs> that says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe what? That God gives generously to all without fault. <laughs> and do not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea. So think about think about this. It's in the context of asking for wisdom. When you go to God for wisdom, you must believe this, that God is a God who gives generously. He wants to give you wisdom. He's not holding out on you. Uh, and number two, that he forgives you. He doesn't find fault in the fact that you need it. Past sins, failures, mistakes, or not the blockage between you and him. And and that's why if if you if you do doubt God's character, right? If you, if you uh, don't believe his wisdom is actually wisdom, 
then of course you're going to be like a wave tossed around on the sea, right? The issue, the issue isn't, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I'm not doubting. See, and you're reading that in psychological certainty. No, 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 no. The issue here is, listen, you, when you ask for wisdom, believe that God will give it to you and, and believe that he will not find fault in you. Because if you doubt those things, why would you ask anyway? Do you see what I'm saying? It's a covenantal expression. It's not a contractual expression. See, I read that and I read faith is psychological certainty and doubt is not being sure if not being psychologically certain. And then I read it as a contract. So if I, if my, if my certainty meter is hundred percent, then God has to give me what I want. And if my certainty meter is less than hundred percent, then God has to not give me what I want. So I've turned it into a formula, not a relationship, and I've turned it into a contract, not a covenant, and I've turned faith into psychological certainty, not something else. So I, so first of all, you can't apply this passage to anything. It's, it's, he's talking specifically about godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom as he goes through the book of James. But secondly, when you ask, believe that God wants to give this to you. Don't doubt his character here, because if you doubt his character... You will be like a wave tossed around by the sea. So there's just more going on than what we typically understand. Now here's an analogy because you're looking at me funny. No, no. What I'm thinking, what I'm thinking about, and hold. Oh no, you don't know do the analogy because I'm thinking. Yeah. I'm thinking in a practical sense. Yeah. I want to hear. Yeah. I hear your analogy. That's right. Thanks for nothing. I there. didn't know you were so prophetic. Mm. Minutes ahead of now, <laughs> my, my thoughts. Now, um. The best analogy I can find for faith, the biblical kind of faith, which is action based on trust. And, and, and this is exactly what's being invited here. It's action based on trust. Correct? What's the action? Asking. Based on trust. Trust what? That he gives and he doesn't find fault. Boom. And that faith is honesty within covenantal relationships. So that I could actually go before God and say, God, I, I really have no, like, I don't believe you're going to do this, but I'm going to ask anyway. Like that stuff is in the Bible. And so, so I feel like we do have permission to grow in faith. Now, the best analogy I can find is when two people get married, do you take this man to be your husband? Do you take this woman to be your wife? And when you say, I do, you have faith in the biblical sense of the term. Because faith in, in the, the covenantal sense is pledging your life to a person and trusting their pledge to you. In the midst of uncertainty. And that's the key point. See, if you understand faith as psychological certainty, then you'd never do anything. Because we're never certain about anything. So marriage, so for those of you that are married... Uh, you already know this. For those of you that aren't married, you're going to learn to your horror that you're going to stand up if you get married and marry somebody and you think you know them and then you marry them and you realize you didn't know them. There are all these things about them that you had no idea existed. And and I, I do believe that when I got married at 29, uh, my wife and I dated for 10 months. We both knew we didn't know everything. But we knew enough to step into the covenant and the relationship in the midst of the uncertainty, right? There's no guarantee it's happily ever after. There's no guarantee we're not going to get divorced. There's no guarantee that, that she or I are not going to turn out to, you know, just be some monster, right? But you take the step anyway. See, that's what faith is. I can't explain how my car works. Think about how many billions of things have to go right just to navigate traffic for 30 miles, right? How many car parts have to, and how many brain synapses and how, I mean, you're just like, holy cow, it's monstrous, the demand for certainty. There is no certainty, right? So what faith turns out to be is the pledge of commitment, action based on trust, even in the midst of uncertainty. And so, so in the scriptures, what's my faith? So, so if I get married, what's my faith in? My faith is in this other person, right? Not in some contract, although some people turn it into that, 
right? Well, what are the circumstances under which I can get divorced? What are the circumstances under which I can get remarried? And sometimes those are legitimate questions. But, but if you're always entertaining the intellectual possibility of not being married to this person once you're married, you're just going to guarantee, if you've got one foot out the divorce door when you're married, um, you've just guaranteed that your marriage will end in divorce. You've absolutely guaranteed it. The best part of marriage comes when you shut that door firmly and say, in spite of the uncertainty, I say yes to you for better and worse and richer and poorer. Faith in Jesus turns out to be very similar. Um, I don't know everything there is to know about God. There are some things that I think I know that make me really uncomfortable that I'm not sure I agree with. But yet there's enough to know if if it's true that everyone follows someone, well, I want to follow Jesus. I mean, this Jesus of Nazareth guy is the most beautiful human person I've ever read about or come into contact with. And I want to be like that. I want to know him. I want to be like him. And 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 so what I've done is I've pledged my life even in the midst of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So, okay, does that help? That helps. So here's, and this actually gets to the question that I did post on oh, hashtag AskMikeGary. Oh, boy. Because... When you have a husband yep. who stays with his wife who's cheated on him. Yes. And he says, I'm not going anywhere yep. because of what, you know, let's say from a, a Christ-centered marriage point of view. Like, how do I hold on to the idea that I'm going to stay with you even though what you've done and the fruit of what you've done should make me untrustworthy? Yep. But yet, I'm going to stay with you because that makes me faithful. Yep. And it's it's a massive act of grace. Yep. Because we're saying, because that's where it seems like it kind of goes both ways. Because if we're saying faith is action based on trust, yep. In this case, that action should mean I can't trust you because right. you we had a covenant, right. you broke that covenant. Yep. Therefore, I have all the reason to not have faith in you because I cannot trust you yep. because of this action. Mm-hmm. And this is where I see it as maybe I'm 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 not. It's a challenge, but it's like I'm not understanding how I can how it, that determines all of it because I okay. think I see what Jesus does for people. I'm like, how right. could Jesus trust people when his very disciples himself? Did? Well, he didn't trust people. He even says that. Okay, I don't, he does. He did not put himself in the hands of men. Right. His and trust was in his father. Yeah. And same with Israel. You look at Israel and God's relationship, totally. and they're that. So it's see like, that's and that's the beauty of it. Okay. That that the biggest the biggest announcement of the scriptures is that God is trustworthy and good. Right. And that he will keep his promises. Right. And that he is faithful to us. And that his covenants are all fulfilled. Not all of them. Now, some of them were conditional. Like, hey, Israel, you can stay in the land if. That's a conditional covenant. But his covenant to Abraham, hey, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Abraham didn't have to do much. Um, his covenant to David. Um, and then the new covenant in Jesus. We receive it by faith, which is trust and action. Um, and we receive it as an act of grace. There's no merit in it. Right. So so maybe what I'm thinking, and, and you could blow this up too, it's like perhaps is there two types of faith of how we understand human faith and Christ-like faith? Because well, like human faith, human faith is everything we've talked about yeah. and broken down. Yeah. But me, to me, I see like this other level of like Christ-like faith where it's like I'm offering you faith where I shouldn't. And right. that's, how great, that's how grace is defined. And then... But then the invitation is that you treat and love other people's just that way. Exactly. See, that's see that's the, the call of the Christ follower. Yes. It's to love people regardless of whether or not they love you. And that's and, and the defining mark of the Christ follower is, is that you would follow Jesus's pattern, teaching, insistence that you love your enemies. And uh, because that's what, exactly what he did. So what we see, the question you're asking is is almost a contractual question. So I had faith in this person. This person broke faith, um, and and so I don't have faith in them anymore. Right. And I get that. And I think forgiveness doesn't mean that we forget or that we allow ourselves always to be hurt again or whatever. I get that. Particularly in abuse. Particularly, I mean, brutal. I mean, you got to get out of there. All of those sorts of things. But I also think that that. When, when you receive the kind of love that God gives, the invitation is now that you show it. And that love is indiscriminate in ways that go against our quid pro quo-ness, our, our you know, back and forth. I, I love those people who love me. I will help those people who can help me. You know, that sort of thing. Jesus blows all of that up to say, no, 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 no. 
how many times should I forgive someone? You know, mm. says yeah. Peter. Right. Um, and Jesus goes, oh, an infinite number, mm. as it turns out to be. Now, what's forgiveness? That's a different podcast. Because forgiveness doesn't mean that you just stay. If you're in a if you're in an abusive relationship, it doesn't mean that you stay there. Um, and and you know if if um, if if somebody harms does a great deal of harm to you, forgiveness doesn't mean that you open yourself up again yeah. to harm. But those are extreme situations. The kind of situations that are the the ones that there are the most common are man. I'm driving. I'm responding to email. I'm I'm dealing with people. Uh, in those situations, I'm I'm to extend this covenantal love to people who aren't even reciprocating. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yep. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it answers my question. So, I think I think I'm just identifying co- the like covenantal faith. Yes. You know, whereas it's like to me, I like I look at that because in my my human brain is like, well, how we're defining faith if it's based on action should should suggest that I'm no longer faithful to this person if that's if that's what it's based on. But if I point to the idea of covenantal faith and what that means, yeah. that allows me to have faith in someone even if I don't trust them. Correct. That's that's what I'm getting that's at. That's right. Okay. So so my wife and I, I mean, this is the 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 paradigm example, right? We hurt each other, we disagree, we have to apologize to each other. But none of those are fatal flaws. See, in the scriptures, there's a time to doubt. There really is. Um and 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 I, I and one of the times, at least for me, was like in coming to faith. Do I really believe this? Does this make sense? I had a philosophy professor look at me and say, "Man, you're too smart for this. Mm. Why would you believe this? Mm. Come on, man." And he was a friend. He was a he was a Jewish agnostic, and wow. he just was like, "Dude, you're too smart for this. Really, a talking snake? Really, a tree of the knowledge of good and evil? I mean, really, really, really? Come on." And, and so I, I went through this massive, massive, massive um, uh, 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 search for, okay, well, can any of this stuff be answered? I mean, do you have to just be a complete idiot or what? But when you say I do, there's a time now to put away those doubts. And now when you doubt, you doubt from inside the relationship yeah. instead of as a precondition to getting into it. Yeah. Do you see the difference? Yes, I do. So I when you that. when you're engaged, man, I'm doubting everything. I'm skeptical about everything, right? I mean, are you this? Are Test you this? Are you this? Yes, exactly. <laughs> when when we're when we're dating, yeah, right. Yeah. But once we said I do, now I'm I, I still have things I wonder and doubts or whatever, but now they're from inside the relationship as opposed to the precondition to getting into it. Yeah. So so for those who are doubting. It's super important to understand the difference that that there is a form of doubt that is simply unbelief that says, I have a foot out the divorce door with God. I have a foot out the door with with my spouse or partner. I just, you know, and and that enables me not to fully commit and not fully committing uh, robs you of the deepest joys of both marriage and Jesus following. Um, But for some people, if I can't have certainty, I'm not going to do it. Once you set aside the need for certainty and the reality that you'll never have it, and you say yes to Jesus, what begins what begins to happen is that following Jesus self-authenticates. So I see Jesus answering prayer. I see I, I feel his presence. I know the reality of his love. And the doubts I have, I still have doubts. I'm the world's biggest questioner. That's why I study so much. I just, I love, okay, well, why this and why this and why this and how's this work? And there are times God, I think, just says, hey, hey, man. You know, you know, when you look at your kid and say, trust me, that's, I'm, I'm telling you, I got this. Don't worry. What are you doing right now, Andy? I'm making big points. And you're looking at your phone right now. What's going on? Who is it? The world's blowing up. It, My friend's talking about barbecue ribs, something, and some other Okay. Stuff. I'm glad that was, I'm glad that was worth this interruption as I'm that's crescendoing. Right. Scott, if you're listening to this one, that one's all for you. Yeah, Scott. Thanks for nothing, buddy. <laughs> Friday afternoons, Friday lunch hour. We record, leave us alone. <laughs> all right. So that's all I got. How long are we? We're at a strong 59 minutes. Okay. We're done. We're done. Man, they're getting Call long. It. That's long okay. And, long These and ones teachy. Are meaty. These are meaty. Are they meaty? Meaty. All right. Speaking of ribs. Speaking of ribs. (laughs) Well, listen, brothers and sisters, skeptics, 
uh, and doubters. We're we're just so thrilled to be a part of of your life, your day, your workout, your commute. So thanks. Um, and uh, and and I I think there's more to say on this, but we'd love whatever questions you've still got. We're gonna move on. I've got some other stuff. I'm I'm excited to to get to talk about, but. Um, if you've got other stuff, there's a hashtag that Andy's trying to turn into something, which is Ask Mike Erie. Oh boy. And um and Subversive Kingdom, Twitter, Facebook, all those sorts of things. Stay in touch with us. Uh so wherever you are right now, we want to bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Till next time, brothers and sisters. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Vox, the Mike Geary podcast. Be sure to like Mike on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash official Mike Geary. Follow Mike on Twitter and Periscope at Mike Geary for live interaction and ongoing Q&A. Don't forget to visit subversivekingdom.com for further engagement and information about Mike.